0: Hi, welcome to Dublin Tech Talks podcast in association with WorkHuman. Uh, in our podcast, you'll listen to uh, thought leaders, technologists and founders, um, and we'll bring their stories to you. On this episode, we are speaking with Helen Cattle, who is uh, co-founder and CEO of Invoice Fair uh, On the episode, we're going to talk about the business, Helen's journey, um, her EY Entrepreneur of the Year, and um, any advice she has for Anybody looking to move along in their um, entrepreneur career. Hope you enjoy. So Helen Cattle from Invoice Fair, welcome to Dublin Tech Talks, our first one in a, the podcast studio. So welcome to the show.
1: Yay! Great. Good morning, Dave. <laughs> Good morning, Gavin. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, no, it's brilliant to have you finally in person and and all that. So, do you want to introduce us to Invoice Fair and the market that you serve?
1: Sure. So um, yeah, I'm Helen Cattle. I'm co-founder of Invoice Fair, and I guess we are in the alternative funding space, uh, focusing on working capital. So what we do is we provide um, growth funding for mid-sized companies that are scaling, or in more simple terms, we give companies money to spend on raw material, inventory, marketing, sales, labor, all the good stuff they need to sell to, to scale, mm-hmm. and we do that on the back of the strength of their receivables, and receivables really means their customers, the, the business that they win with their customers. We have a mechanism. Secret sauce to Mm -hmm. translate that into upfront growth capital. Yeah. So if you think about Ireland, Ireland is full of uh, SMEs or mid-sized companies that are selling goods or services to the large multinational sector um, across all the sectors. So whether it's pharma, medtech, tech, renewables, construction, retail. Um, and all of these bigger guys have been stretching out their credit terms over the last mm-hmm. number of years. Yes, so exactly. if you're scaling and you have to wait 60, 90, 100 and in some cases over 100 days to get paid, mm-hmm. that uh, on the one hand is a challenge. Or indeed, if um, if you're tendering for business with one of these big players, um, oftentimes the quantum of what you can tender for is determined by how much funding you can access yeah. to um, fulfill that order or fulfill that contract up front. So that might mean buying the raw material, uh, re- employing the engineers to do the coding. And it's at that point in time, that's really where the customer pain point is. So mm. we identified that. And I suppose as a business, we're obsessed with market failures. So a lot of our uh, product innovation and solutions um relate to the customer problem that we see out there in the marketplace.
2: Um, Was was the gap you saw the the access to that funds or just the provision in general?
1: So the the gap that we saw, if I go back to uh, the genesis of invoice Fair, I suppose, Mm -hmm. back in 2015, um, there was two things happening. Number one, banks uh, and traditional providers who essentially have the same business model as a bank were, um, a lot of them were repairing their own balance sheets post-financial crisis and the furthest thing in their mind was coming up with innovative uh, solutions for mid-sized companies that was scaling, understandably. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously then, in the investment world, interest rates had uh, been held up artificially And they began to normalize. So even cash as an investment asset class was not attractive. But in the investment world, uh, regulated credit funds were really focusing in on receivables. And again, for any listeners, receivables means invoices, sales orders or your recurring revenue. Um, They were really focusing in on this asset class um, because... Number one, it's short dated. Number two, it's uncorrelated. It doesn't behave the same way as equities or bonds or Mm -hmm. currencies when there's um, a massive event. And also they can construct a portfolio made up of the receivables from all the sectors I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So very diversified. So those two things were happening simultaneously. And as we all know now, looking back over the last five years, technology is an enabler.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. So the genesis was... Identifying the fact that the players in the market in Ireland and the UK and beyond because of all the bad things that happened, weren't able, they weren't in a position to provide fit for purpose working capital. The, the uh, funds in the investment world, were, there was a search for yield, I always call it, yeah. and technology could connect these two distinct audiences together. Um, and that's really, uh, that was the genesis, I suppose, of invoice fair solving those yeah. two problems. And it's, it's
0: been a big success, or it's been a success anyway, today, over a billion dollars funded, yeah. 40 staff. We'll talk about EY, Entrepreneur of the Year nomination. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, when this goes out, you'll be the winner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you'll be able to parade your trophy around. Yeah. But it's, it's you know, how does that kind of success, or do you feel you've had success yet, or wh- where's that at with yourself?
1: You know, it's a bit like everything. People... Um, glamorise things from a distance. So, Mm. you know, certainly um, we've done very well and we have provided over 1.3 billion of funding to to companies in Ireland and the UK predominantly, and we have innovated on product and we have managed to build a really good team. But, you know, hard yards, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And going back to the business model um, and the innovation is uh, connecting institutional funding with SMEs that want working capital. But you can't offer these innovative solutions without the institutional funding mm. and you can't get the institutional yeah. funding if you've nothing to deploy it into. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that that in essence uh, was a challenge in the early days. Um I suppose Ireland now and globally, um, you know, we've seen technology gallop ahead in terms of even how people mm. are living their lives now. You know, mm-hmm. you're revoluting money to your kids unfortunately yeah. or are always them on the
0: those, you get the requests <laughs> yeah so
1: the the uh degree to which we had to even initially even initially what we were doing was very innovative then where mm. right now that's a ticket to the game um but keeping on top of the technological innovation understanding the importance of data so if i look at how we dealt with customers back in 2015 and how we would now prospect, onboard and manage customers. It's very, very different and technology is much more at the heart of that. Why? Mm. Because we're in the underwriting business. And in order to make safe underwriting decisions, you need data. So we integrate with um, a customer's open banking, with their accounting Mm. system, we use all those tools and data to monitor them. So mm. you know there's been a big, big change.
0: Would you call yourself a technology business now or a finance business? That's now? a great
1: question. So I used to always like we've a um we've a lot of accountants in our business. My yeah. co-founder is a, a chartered accountant, uh albeit that he spent his industry his his um career in industry. So we're very uh, thin heavy if you mm. like but I suppose more recently um and Gavin, you should know this because yeah. we worked together in trying to headhunt the right CTO. We have um, digitized the journey for the customer. We have uh, focused in on API, an API first approach and trying mm-hmm. to ingest all this data that we yeah. need to inform the decisions we make in a much, much less frictionless way. So over the last 12, 18 months... There's been more emphasis on the the, t- the tech side of the yeah. fin, mm-hmm. but our IP is the knowledge we have, the experience we have, the way in which we can assess risk and the mitigants of risk. And yes, we will codify elements of that and we mm. have, and we have a rules engine, but we're not going to become um, an automated underwriting business yeah. because equally... Um, you know the experience that the underwriting team have is also very important, and relationships. That's why people
0: buy yeah. from you. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and relationships with customers. But um, but I think I forgot to make a point that I was trying to make <laughs> earlier. There, just when you asked me a question, there's been a huge part of education and what we've had to do. Mm. So Irish people, and our decision maker is the MD or FD yeah, or I F know. or financial controller. That persona is quite uh, conservative. Um, now, with the new, um, younger cohort coming up, but they might be wary of technology, they might be wary of being asked to integrate their accounting system or their bank. They might be uh, wary that, you know, if they were to move from one of the traditional providers to invoice fare, mm. w- are we going to be around? Is yeah. there certainty of funding? Yeah. What does fintech mean? You know, in 2015... That was a much bigger conversation than it is today. But Mm -hmm. we had to walk that walk and educate our audience. And what's happening globally uh, and the disruption in the sector globally, and it being further disrupted now by things like banking as a service Mm -hmm. and embedded finance, has helped us because now people are more aware and there's less education to Mm -hmm. do. And they're less fearful of actually uh, doing something which, to my mind, is very prudent, which is diversifying your funding mix and not having your eggs in any one basket. And for us in fair, we excel in the area of working capital. Mm -hmm. We're not term funders. We don't do senior debt. We're not doing asset finance. You know, we're we're very clear on uh, our sweet spot and what we're good at.
2: And have you you defined as part of that education program that it's raising the awareness of how you can access funds in a different way and... You know, you can protect your your ownership in your company or your you know your your long time your long term finances over that short term access. Like, was there much work to do educating the business community that they could operate
1: in a different way? Absolutely. And if I could turn the clock back, I'd probably take a different approach to that. Mm. I'd be sitting here in the studio <laughs> running a podcast. <laughs> um, but I suppose our strategy was to focus in on the key influencers, and mm. in our addressable market, the key influencers are accountants who have very trusted uh, relationships with companies Mm. and are probably uh, likely to be told if there's a working capital challenge. Other advisors, but definitely uh, accountants, corporate finance houses, VCs. So we focused in on targeting and educating that cohort that engaged directly rather than trying to engage um, each customer, each prospect Mm. block by block. I suppose as a company, though, we didn't, um, and I know others have done it, you know, we didn't uh, get on the radio and uh, advertise yeah. in that sort of way. So it was much more a um, founder centric, mm. um, like I and my co-founder, Peter Brady, spent a lot of time <laughs> in the early days yeah. wearing shoe leather and getting out there, doing these uh, panel discussions, presenting to, to um, accountancy firms, mm. etc.
0: And, and when did you when did you realize you had a product? Like when was you know you kind of went ah shit we have something here? What when, when was that?
1: Well, I suppose the first transaction we did is we funded um, a company that were putting uh, tradespeople on the ground in the Nordics. So it was a Swedish krona um, based transaction. Yeah. Which my mm-hmm. background would be in the whole area of currency risk mm-hmm. management. So that was that was not a challenge, thankfully. But I suppose when you saw the speed at which and the quantum of funding that we could deliver mm. in a way that was so frictionless. Um, and that was our first trade. Yeah. We really were then uh, convinced of the market opportunity, uh, cognizant of uh, the requirement to have a very uh, deep funding mix, though, because clearly yeah. um, for all the reasons we know, um, you know, in terms of that education piece, we, we did need to... Reassure companies that we would be able to be their funding partner in the working capital space. But mm. it was very early on uh, that we realized this is the market's crying out for this because the choices that they have in the market presently do not mirror their ambition yeah, in yeah. terms of where they want their company to go, where they want to scale. There's a mismatch between the risk appetite of traditional providers and the structure of traditional providers where they're limited by being sure, yeah. a single balance sheet lender, mm. their, their regulatory um, framework mm. uh, precludes them from being able to do things that we can just do because of our model. So I, I, very, uh, I, I pretty much immediately we saw that we can do things that others can't or we can do what they do do differently in a very compelling yeah. way. And I don't want that to sound arrogant because no. it was still. But, you know, there was never, oh, my God, like, do people <laughs> really want fast, flexible working capital? Yeah, uh, that was a know. question answered already. Yeah. 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 Mm. So, um, but, you know, you're still, there's still fear and trepidation when you're a founder yeah. um, as to how you're actually going to scale and win more customers and win more funders. And, mm. you know, so it, it was. Um, not without its challenges. As you've
2: touched on, yeah. f- I'm, I'm very interested in the founder experience. You mentioned lots of different backgrounds and profiles around your leadership, you know, table. Um, and there's different yardsticks and measurements of your success. Clearly, Gavin mentioned the amount of funding that has been released is, is you know, is phenomenal. But as, a, as an individual, as a founder, where do you get your, you know, your your drive from? Is it seeing the, the customers that you enable and, and how they're, you know, businesses thrive and grow or, you know, are you just focused more on, you know, those those more core metrics around the finance?
1: You know, I think that um, as a person, I, and my career, uh, albeit that it was in, on the treasury side of banking, quite traditional, it was very people intensive. Mm. I, I managed large teams, I worked with large teams and a lot of those teams are now really good buddies of mine. Yeah. So I, thrive in an environment where I work with really good people. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I would find hugely rewarding is solving a problem for a customer and being able, like maybe it is a competitive side to me, mm-hmm. you know, being able to solve mm. a problem that others can't. That makes me feel good. It makes me That's feel like we've actually made a difference yeah. here. Yeah. This has been able to deliver this, has acted as a catalyst for that company mm. to be able to do something that they otherwise couldn't do. Yeah, and. Yeah, that would that would drive me as a person for sure.
0: And and then the opposite. What what keeps you awake at night as a as a founder as a as, as as Helen, you wake up and go, oh no, this has to be done. Is there? Yeah, that, well, I suppose
1: a number of things. I suppose um, you know, making sure in the early days that we had the depth of funding. Um, and if you go back to my um, earlier point that funders like the asset class, but they you need to have the companies that need the working capital. Yeah. Um so that cap- that kept me awake at night are we going to be able to win business um and retain business. So, you know, that's always a worry for um mm-hmm. a business uh, in in a, in any competitive environment. I worried a lot about our people during COVID. Um uh-huh. I think it was very a very very a challenging time and Literally, our customers uh, back in 2020, a lot of them just shut up shop. They didn't need funding because Mm, mm -hmm. they were being supported by government and government supports and revenue supports. And in fairness, I was absolutely blown away by the degree to which the team, all of them, worked remotely immediately, leaned in. Down tools and went, okay, what are we going to do here? We need to think about how we're going to keep our business alive. So we identified e-commerce funding, Mm. um, where we provide funding to companies to pay for inventory on the back of their future sales. Mm. We identified PPE, uh, where loads of Irish companies were getting these Mm. absolutely enormous orders uh, from the HSE, the NHS, and the bank model couldn't bank it. They were too big. Mm. So in fairness, we worked with the banks and a lot of the other providers, which was really rewarding where competition didn't matter. Everybody's, you know, everybody yeah. was aligned and being able to get PP out to um, mm. people who weren't vaccinated at this stage. Yeah, yeah. So we we funded about 80 million of that. And then we also got into, um, which is very topical now, another crisis in Ireland, housing, mm. social and affordable houses. So we, again, there are able to do, provide funding earlier on and possibly more than the competition so we dipped into that mm-hmm. but that even though you know so it made people very busy there was huge deadlines but it really um, in terms of their mental health was brilliant because mm, yeah. we worked together really hard you know we did good business it was profitable business it solved a serious um problem for all these businesses that had to go online yeah. um people still need housing and then people need a PPE. So to me, but worrying about people uh, and I don't have to tell anybody more than you guys, Mm -hmm. uh, looking after your people uh, is number one. Yeah, it has to be. It is. They're at the centre. And, you know, these days people talk about um, employee experience. And, you know, I I don't know much about employee experience other than in our business, people are front and centre and you Mm -hmm. have to be able to You know, communicate and listen to your people and understand, uh, you know, possibly even what's going on outside of their work life, because that could be hugely impacting. um
2: Yeah, the whole person is so important now. I mean, you know, it's it's the conversation is front and centre and there is no separation. So, you know, in a way that perhaps there was in the past.
0: Yeah, like people saw into your house and everything like that. <laughs> for, like for two years, it was like You know, there's your children walking behind you. You know, before that, it was like get out of the room. You yeah. know, then yeah. it was like come on in. So yeah, like it's it, been great. Yeah, it has, yeah, that's been everybody's more personable. I remember starting off and you did the three sixty reports and you had that work face and your your home face and that type of stuff. I I I, I don't know if it's because I'm a bit older now, but I don't have a work and a home face. I'm very much who I am, but I think that's kind of. Mm -hmm. resonated with a lot of people and knowing them outside of work or asking that question, especially during the two years of COVID was, you know, how is everything? And people were like, oh, thank God you asked. Nobody's asked me, you know, because I've talked to the same people for two
1: weeks. It was very intense. And I mean, during that time we had, you know, as a business, we've lost parents. We've lost, Mm. you know, we've had people who got married. We've had people who've had babies, you know, all in you know, 10 people going to a funeral, like
2: yeah, yeah.
1: very, very difficult yeah, um, yeah. circumstances that will stay with them for quite a while, actually. Yeah, 100%. So, um, yeah, no, so I'm very strong and people on the hybrid and all of that, I think, you know, one of the um, privileges I had was to go on a trip with EY and the finalists to the US and we spent a wonderful morning in Dell and it was absolutely inspirational, all the different um, speakers. But the one... Um, glaringly obvious observation I made was that the car parks were empty yeah. and it's this massive massive monster in the middle of um, the city, yeah. Austin and logically that's not a sustainable um, yeah. position either So, and some people from the floor asked the question and you know the yeah. company line was but the economic stats not going to stack up mm-hmm. indefinitely in terms of paying for that type of you know, enormous yeah. retail or office space, and nobody being there a lot of the time.
0: I think that's going to be a a topic. Yeah, f- for the next twelve, twenty four yeah. months, as businesses struggle with what is right. You know, there's just offices being paid for. Do you like, yeah. you're, you're kind. Of, do I bring my staff in? Staff get pissed off. Yeah. Do they stay? Do they go? Is it a business that yeah. you can talk to and say, you know, I really like working here, but I, I don't want to be doing that.
2: Yeah, it's a consequence of that extension, putting the, the human first. I mean, that makes decisions very personal, but it's hard to write a policy for yeah. you know for everyone's <laughs> personal decisions. So I think there, you know, there's there's a give and take. And I think I think, you know, organizations need to decide what's important to them as well as what's important to the employee. And, you know, hopefully things marry up and some businesses are happy with, you know, fully remote, partially remote. Exactly. Other companies want to double down on that connection. I mean, some of the work human IQ that Mm. our teams produce from our customer data is like people are connected more to the people around them than the company culture, because I mean, it's obvious the people are the embodiment of that culture. So if you look at people entering the workforce now for the first time in a fully remote world, you know, ha, you know wh- what learning by osmosis are they getting? What coaching? So I mean, there's, it's a no one has an answer. No, yeah, I yeah. could be
1: here for an hour now if we, yeah. but, uh, but personally, we only have five more minutes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm. But you're going to have to cut this bit out of the podcast. <laughs> I'd have strong views on. I think there's um, a degree of learned behavior that took place during um, that two year period, and I think that ultimately, um, and again, my my career has been in very mm. people intensive environments mm. and high performance teams. I think that. There is a huge amount of learning through osmosis that yeah. if you're sitting in the office, also team building. A lot of the people I worked with in my 20s are mm. really good pals of mine. Mm. My old management team when I was in banking are, are people yeah. who are very much in my life now who I trust and really like because I developed a relationship with them um, in work. And I think that um, that in itself is very enriching mm. and it's a very it's a richer learning environment Uh, When you're sitting right beside people and particularly in a smaller organization like ours, where um, you have. People maybe that aren't that experienced being able to work really closely with people that are seriously yeah. experienced. So mm. it's like supercharging mm. somebody in terms of their their learning curve. For
2: sure. Yeah. So,
1: um, but clearly, I would also I would also not impose anything mm. on anybody. And we do uh, work hybrid. But if you want my view yeah. on it, what would I like? I'd like everybody to be in the office five days a week because I think it would be a better place, better buzz, yeah. better relationships, and deeper learning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I can't disagree with that. But
2: I think I, I, think I, I hate going to the office.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hate the journey in. I hate the journey out. I think
2: when you look at retention now, I mean tenure as a as a you know consequential metric of looking at your your um, your attrition data is really important. I think mm. you know if you start to see trends where you know fully remote or people who've joined you know recently are leaving quicker, mm. you know against a cohort of people who are you see
0: them within two years yeah. putting their hands up because they've never met anybody in the office. Yeah, like. That was so obvious when you're looking around to find people. They're like, yeah, I was here for two years, kind of got what I needed. I've Mm -hmm. got to go. I've no loyalty. Don't even know who the CEO is or the MD. I've met my manager once, you know. I think the experience is important as well. You
2: can't just get people in to have people in. They have to see value in coming to the office, collaborating, connecting with people. I think it's about that connection experience. If you can unlock that. Absolutely. It's not just been there for the
1: sake of it. Yeah, for sure.
0: Wanted to ask you two things. Female founder, CEO. How was that journey? Did you and one of our speakers today found it pretty difficult as a female founder to raise funds? They saw it as risky. Um,
2: Did you find any of those
0: problems?
1: No, I mean...
2: We should have definitely given you more than three minutes for this one. Yeah, I think, look, I
1: don't... I mean, age 20, I started my career in a dealing room in a bank and I was the first female. And maybe it's because of the journey I've had that I don't really attach importance to me Mm. being female or Mm. indeed anybody being male or female. It's about the right person. And I think that... Now, I did... um, Initially, when we raised our equity, we got matched funding very... um, thankfully, from uh, who are great partners, Enterprise Ireland, under their HPSU programme, and I would have done the submission under the female-led. So, you know, I I really don't think, I think it's about um, the credibility of the model and the scalability of it if you're raising funds and the degree to which you can um, convince your audience that. So whether you're um, male or female, I really don't think mm. um, it matters. Now, <clears throat> again, going back to the people thing, do I know that there are customers that we have that prefer to deal with um, my male colleagues? Absolutely. And mm. we, we, we joke about it openly in the office <laughs> that like, you know, that's not going to work. I'll step out. You yeah. run with this. And then equally, there are those mm. um, yeah. that love dealing with women. So mm-hmm. you just, yeah. it's horses for courses and I really don't get too um, hung up on it.
0: Perfect. Last question what's your, I have loads of other questions, go be here for another half there. An your future founders, other people looking to start on their own, what, what's your advice um, or what's their pitfalls to avoid if, if they were sitting in front of you?
1: Yeah, well, I've, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself when I run and I've listened to ones where, um, you know, there's been advice like, don't bootstrap it, you know, mm. go to market <laughs> early, raise money. My own view is that, um, don't, boot scrap, don't bootstrap it but equally don't raise such large money that then it changes the behaviours around how that money is mm. spent mm. i.e. you wouldn't do what you did had you not had raised that if you have 10 million, million in the bank exactly yeah. it does drive mm-hmm. certain behaviours so I think there's a happy medium around having the courage to yeah. raise enough money to get really strong people in key positions so I'd, mm. I'd attach huge importance to that yeah. and mind those people and that means being an absolute black belt in communication and listening, to my mm-hmm. mind.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that saying. Going to rob that one, black belt in communication. <laughs> uh, Helen Cattle, CEO, founder, co-founder of Invoice Fair. Thanks a mill for your time. Uh, it's a really pleasure to talk to you best of luck, uh, is it Thursday?
1: Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday in and the, look,
0: e- yeah. and the EY finals.
1: Pleasure, Gavin, Dave. Thanks love so much. You, Thanks, Thanks a, a million. Mil. Cheers. Ya, bye. bye.
2: David here, thanks again folks for joining us Uh, there you have it, so I hope you enjoyed it if you did, don't forget to subscribe to whatever platform you're engaging with the content on, you can also find us on LinkedIn Um, uh, also check out our meetup page because we are getting back to in-person events, so we look forward to seeing you in person at one of them or certainly uh, bringing more content and telling some more stories from the tech scene in Dublin, thank you